This podcast is part of the GWC Network. For more information on it or to check out some of our other awesome podcasts, visit us at galacticwatercooler.com. After the tone, enjoy the show. This is Save Eureka, podcast number 12, Dr. Nobel. Welcome back, everybody. <laughs> yeah, I, so Stark has a Nobel Prize. I know. I had forgotten that. I know, it was like... You well, know, he doesn't anymore. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, he, he yeah. earned one. <laughs> I'm, I'm assuming that the prize is more than the certificate, you know? like <laughs> I'm, I'm sure, I think there there's a large cash sum that goes along with it. Yeah, and, so, and I think he probably would be more concerned with that. Also, his dong got bigger. <laughs> <laughs> Although I did notice his beard needed to trim this episode. That was unusual. That's what you took from that? I, I think just because they, they took his Nobel out of his office, it made him a it little hairy. the fact that he apparently had a tuck stashed in his office? <laughs> I know, with like a white silk scarf. Like a really good tux. <laughs> That's not surprising at all with him. I know, yeah, it's, it's hard it's, to tell if it's a really it's like, good tux or if he just looks really good in it because he's so like built. Yeah, but in comparison, like, you know, Carter's wearing a suit and uh, Fargo's rocking the Dumb and Dumber suit. Okay. The uh, light blue, like, prom suit. Yeah, I have to comment on that. Um, One of my really good friends from high school, who who shall remain unnamed, had a tux almost exactly like that. (laughs) He wore it it to a couple of things. Um, His uh, wedding? No. (laughs) I was there. And no, no, he did not. Someone else's wedding? No, he no, he wore it to like. Um, I remember like I, I think he wore it to prom, but I didn't go. He wore it to like uh, like we both played in the in the in the little jazz band, high school jazz band thing, stage band, whatever they called it. Right. And, and he would wear it to those kind oh, of to events. The concerts? Yeah, and it was that nope. same color. And, and was this a, a suit of his own picking, or was it like the male version of a bad bridesmaid dress? Well, I mean, I won't argue that it's both, I, th- I think, because you're right. It is. It's like a, it's, it's exactly the only reason anybody would ever wear that color is it's, because it's somebody the made them right? burgundy poofy dress with the big bow on the butt. Right? You're, exactly. You're like, OK, OK, fine. That exact color of like peach that nobody would actually wear, except that somebody really wanted it in their way. No, he I don't know. It was why. all the rage in that, you know, that time that never existed. He had it. And I. I. I th- he he thought it was really cool at the time, and I remember even at the time thinking, I don't know about that. But you know why it was cool, <laughs> and why it, uh, he actually proved that it was cool, is because we're sitting here talking about it today. Good point. Wait, are you it's suggesting like, yes, that but you have heard of my? Are you saying anything we talk about is cool? <laughs> well, I think by he, definition, well, you know, if I wouldn't we go talk so about broad as that, but yeah, I guess so. I, I, I take your point, sir. He, essentially, it was memorable, and he was a cool guy anyway. So I've, yeah, I, I think not like he, he was being all douchey about it, right? No, not at all. You like know? I'm gonna wear this blue suit in violation of the dress code. It's like no, it's like. I'm a cool guy, and I'm going to wear something unusual, and people are going to remember it. Actually, it wasn't that unusual in that, that time period. It was just kind of... Well, it's unusual for Fargo to my last day of high school. Well, that's, see, that's unusual. He didn't wear it to, like, class or anything. I mean... I did. You know... <laughs> well, that's cool. I, I can't argue with that. You know what I thought was cool was when Fargo gets moved down, like, into the, you know, the bowels of GD, wherever that is, it takes him, like, half an hour to walk there. Uh, you know, it, th- my first thought is, like, Milton. Yeah. 
you know, and they're, they're, yeah, they're pushing him down, like, into. Did you have my stapler? Henry's like, what did you do to get put down here? But I, did anyone else have kind of a flash forward? You know, I know not everyone has seen um, all of Eureka, but for those of us, like, who've kind of seen a little bit later, we know that Fargo does better later on. And did anyone else have a flash forward to his later office and think, you know, he has good taste. He's going to do something. That was in a different universe. A few more windows yeah. in his alternate universe office, though. Yeah. You know, like, all the walls are off our are, are windows. But, as but I, I just to had the, this kind of... bunker from the 60s. I just had this cool kind of smile to myself, though. I was like, yeah, you know, like, he's he's being treated like crap right now, but it's going to get better for him. You know what? I think I think Stark was dead on when he said, you know, it's a, it's a growing experience. And, I mean, the fact is, it is his own office. And if you look at it, it's a damn big space, regardless of the fact that it has no windows. I mean, it he has to clean it out, but you know that's part I think of it's him. a cool office. <laughs> the books, you know, the papers, not necessarily being a douche. The nuclear reactor. I'm with you. I'm with you, Juan. I agree. I, I think it's kind of a cool office, actually. You think Stark again, might have I live been in serious? A basement suite, so my perspective might be altered slightly. Yeah. Do you think Stark might have been serious when he said that? Um, it's like a, a rite of passage moving up. I think I, so. I don't think he, I mean, at first I'm like, oh yeah, you're just tucking Fargo away. But you know, I think, I think, you, you know, it's like you can't just start at the top and have, you know, a, a really cushy office, you know, with a, you know, the one like what Stark has, you know, so everyone's got to start somewhere and he is giving him an office rather than a, then I'm guessing he just has a desk in a lab somewhere, right? I don't know about you. Well, actually, I do suspect that you one would get that would feel the same way. And tell me if I'm wrong, but I think it would be way cooler to have like a big, cool kind of hip space that happens to be in the basement than to have like a little like closet somewhere. Like adjunct. As space. someone who works in a cubicle farm, yes, I know <laughs> exactly, I know exactly. You know, I would rather have you know a large drafty room in the basement of the building that I work in, which has no windows. Rather than the, um, you know, rather than the quarter office that I have, you know, tucked in with four other people in in a cubicle, right? Yeah, totally. I mean, I, in fact, it was funny the 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 last place I was working in an office like that. They <clears throat> we moved into a different office and. Nobody wanted this one crappy space that was way in the back and had some junk in it and everything, so they put me in it, you know? And I went back there, and I'm like, oh, cool, you know? So I cleaned it out, and I I put my desk in there, and I kind of made a little space out of it. And then I was there for about six months before people started realizing that I had this space, and it wasn't fair because I had this nice space, and they were more important than me. So they started like working around till eventually they moved me out of it and put somebody important in it, you know? And I was like, <laughs> you made it cool. Yeah. <laughs> you made it desirable. In a way, I thought that was kind of, kind of cool. Like then a- again, if the office that you were working in was, um, part of a company that was a weapons manufacturer and you came across what looks obviously like a nuclear control bunker, would you could be like, Hey bro, let's totally turn keys. <laughs> okay. At the same yeah. Time. I-, I told Chuck when we were watching this, I'm like, how did Fargo not, how did this not occur to him that there's never been anything invented in history that required two simultaneous turns of a key that was not a weapon? <laughs> well, know? people remember we're we're talking about the Beverly effect here. People aren't really picking up on the obvious in this town. Oh, remember Chuck with the uh, reverse the hex? Yeah, that was pretty funny. 
He's like, reverse oh. the hex. And, Hen- and Henry, like, figures out that he means this, you know, hex screw. And, and Chuck's like, why didn't they think of that? And I'm like, well, they're baffled by practical things. Yeah, I was going to be like, reverse screws? Really? It's like, if something's not turning, try turning it the other way. Henry, <laughs> Henry wouldn't puzzle. think of this? I think Henry would think of this. Yeah. I mean, he is he, one of his uh, Velcro straps is, says, does say mechanic. Well, it takes Henry for him to decipher the pretty clear directions. I mean... <laughs> Have you never hooked up a propane bottle? It's threaded backwards. Yeah, really? No kidding. <laughs> oh, my. Backwards threads. It's, that's <laughs> some baffled. serious security there. Just imagine if they'd have put a security, you know, hex head on it. One of those ones that, that has like, you know, like they use in bathrooms, like urinal stalls and crap. You know, I don't understand it. It's technology we've never come across before. Well, it's a hex bit, but there's this pin in the middle and we can't get our screwdriver in there. It's funny, isn't it? The things that they're baffled by, like in the beginning when Fargo, Spencer's down there with him and, and they kind of uncover the machine and Spencer picks up one of the phone receivers and he's like, what does he say? Like on computer on or something. And I'm like, really? Hello, computer. I'm like this, this obviously was built like in the, you know, the sixties or whatever. And you're trying to give it a voice command. Really? You know? Like, are you really giving that many voice commands? In 2006? Actually, at Eureka, maybe. Well, at, no, <laughs> well, they, I'm they, sure. They developed Siri, and then five years later, it comes out on the iPhone, right? Exactly. I'm sure at Eureka, things were voice command. That that wasn't my, you know, what stopped me was that he's uh, he ought to know that this thing is not from that time period. and that it, he's a naive young little boy. That maybe he was joking. I don't think he was joking. <laughs> I think he could <laughs> I think that Eureka has an affirmative action program for not very smart people, and Henry takes one of them in to work in his shop. this the lowest common douche nominator. <laughs> no, I think that they, you know, they have to have a couple of token like non-genius people living in the town, and Spencer's one of them. <laughs> I want to be one of the token non-genius people living in Eureka. I know, like Zoe. Like, are there age restrictions on? <laughs> She's get automatically- this place? <laughs> She's like, yeah, I want to live in this. This is awesome. I could see that. That's pretty okay, awesome. So, talking about that place, you know, um, the manager was her name Doris or whatever. Yeah. Doesn't she sound like an older Bernadette from Big Bang Theory? <laughs> yeah, I think That's it's awesome. the Midwest accent, especially. And the and the high and the soprano voice. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, she's very. I was just pointing it out. I'm sorry. No, I, I wasn't. I, I was thinking about it. Like, yeah, I think you're right. You know what? I, I think my favorite part of this episode is the fact that this is the beginning of the end of Carter's Jeep. Yeah. <laughs> I think this is the I, first I one, the, right? The, the two solutions to all of their problems were either kick it or ram the Jeep into it. I know. That's awesome. I just Well, they had to figure out the hex problem first. <laughs> But yeah, this is the first time that the Carter's Jeep is sacrificed, right? And then it sort of becomes a thing after that. Yeah. That's true. Wait, yeah. I feel stupid, but what was the final solution? To Carter's Jeep? No, to the shutting down the weapon. I mean, I forget. What it was did kicking they... it. That was well, it? Well, they, I mean... they turned the keys in a certain combination. Oh, and Oh, Actually, right, turning right. the keys should have solved it, but <laughs> but because <laughs> like did somebody cut the blue wire and Henry's like really he fancied it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Hey. It's about the right time frame. I mean. <laughs> he irvined it. 
I like he's like, you know, this is cutting through uh, quartz like butter. I should be there in about five hours. Yeah. Countdown. We're finished in four hours. I'll go faster then. No, I love that. Yeah, 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 when it starts like drill faster, and he's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, he needs his porno mags to drill faster. <laughs> little, little Ocean's reference there. <laughs> Actually, I watched all three of those movies just in the last week. <sighs> we got to watch those next time you come down. Uh, I can't believe we didn't. Yeah, we were stupid. Next time. <laughs> Yeah, Next we time. didn't compli- accomplish quite enough while I was down. Yeah, really, we didn't do enough. Jeez, what was wrong with well, us? Well, Barb isn't Lazy letting me bastards. hear the end of it, that we didn't take you to Chick-fil-A. Uh, she, I knew like, that was going to happen. She almost drove okay, off the road I'm, in a rage. I was like, oh, God. Chuck and Audra, they asked if I wanted to go on the way to the airport, and I said, you know, I don't even, I don't care either way. It's okay. So, don't worry. I, I, I sacrificed my tra- journey to the chick-fil-a you know or whatever it was so. <laughs> one's like I, I i don't even want to talk about this the other crap she hasn't given me yet is that we didn't go to the uh that place with the frozen custard uh, oh right custard. Yeah. and right now barbara's going what <laughs> i did eat six gallons of fake ice cream while you're here though that was cool <laughs> And so did we. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Audrey means like everybody else that was, you know, at the house or, you know, there for one night combined. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> That's true. I eat a lot of it. Actually, I meant me and one each, but. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was thinking about, um, you know, in this episode, the interaction between, I'm sorry to abruptly just shift but uh, how dare you shift things back to eureka well, there's no transition there but um i was thinking about the interaction between allison and and carter in this and how he's like you know kiss for luck and she kind of teases him cold. And stuff. i know it, it was, it was cold. cold but Come on. yeah i know but I, I was thinking it's funny because on one hand they've got this kind of flirtation and stuff but on the other hand it's this extremely family friendly dialogue like there's this scene um Oh, when she's treating his eye at the end. And the dialogue is is almost like something out of an episode of Full House, you know? She's like, <laughs> oh, you know, that's going to be a shiner. And he's like, oh, well, you know. You oh, know, Bob so, Saget, take me now. Oh. You know, sometimes sometimes oh. you got to do that to make sure you save the world. And then they, and he makes some kind of like pun joke, like yuck, yuck. And they're like, ah. You know, he's and, had a full day being skeevy. Well, I just I thought it was I thought it was interesting because going back to early Eureka, there was a lot more of that kind of almost awkward but sweet interaction between them. Right, but you know, to justify later, they they actually do hook up, and then you know that pretext is, would obviously be. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not complaining. I'm I'm just saying it's an interesting note of how the series kind of evolves. You go back and you kind of recognize that awkwardness. It's like, you know, two people who, like, they obviously have a chemistry, but they're trying to keep it very professional. And it comes off being like the, you know, the eighth graders at the dance who are dancing with each other with their hands, like, straight out like zombies, you know, <laughs> on each other's shoulders. The Napoleon Dynamite dance? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, dun, and it changes over time. But yeah. dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> You said dancing like zombies, and I thought, you know. Actually, the, the, the musical tone that I took was when Henry had those, like, x-ray specs on or whatever. <laughs> and he had, me. like, they, for some reason, had these gigantic headphones attached to them. 
Yeah. That was awesome. I was almost imagining from Henry's perspective, like, you know, Stark's talking away and all Henry hears is like, Whoa, we're halfway there. <laughs> <laughs> out of He's like, listener. <laughs> Bon Jovi or something. He was playing like a, a virtual reality game or something. Oh no, just these rocket out to like his iPod. It's like I'm like, almost you know, really I, playing virtual these, Eureka. <laughs> like these headphones don't do anything. I just like listen to my tunes when Stark's talking. <laughs> yeah, that would be great. Whatever he was listening to. Yeah. You can't really blame him. I mean <laughs> <laughs> Blah 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 blah. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> it's a special eureka tool they designed it makes everyone sound like the teacher from uh Peanuts. From Peanuts. yeah, yeah. <laughs> the starkophone <laughs> you know it's kind of funny you you mentioned that tone but i i think that it, it occurs to me that that tone was not that way it was not there in the pilot i know carter I, was a lot more kind of savvy I think it's like as they sort of settle in, you know, they had to find it, they went from kind of reaching all out and trying to show what it could be without it really being that way to like settling into, uh, you know what it is? I think it may come from the fact that when you write a pilot, I guess you're just writing one episode. Whereas when you write, yeah. you know, that first season, they had a season and they knew that they had more than one episode to get it out. And, right, and the, the tease back and forth lends itself better to be being played out over multiple episodes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So maybe that's it. It certainly changes. You're right. I mean, it's not that way later on. I always thought it was kind of interesting too. And again, not not judging. I don't have a problem with it. I'm just it's kind of an interesting uh, feeling because you've got Allison who is just drop dead gorgeous. I mean, yeah. Oh my god, she's just amazing looking and. You know, she's all her interactions, like uh, when Carter mentions Stark and she's like, ex, soon to be ex husband, you know, <laughs> and she doesn't she she toys with Carter a little bit, but you don't ever get the sense that she's like you're always certain, or at least I am, that she's completely in control of her faculties. You know what I mean? And she's like just this amazing, like sexy woman, and and yet she's just completely in control of of everything. And and you you know what I mean? Like she's not. You don't feel like she's gonna have like a romantic fling with anyone without like many multiple seasons of buildup. <laughs> you know, like you can you can just tell that. You know what I mean? Like they're like, gonna I'm start, sorry, Carter. We got to hit syndication before uh, before we're gonna hook up here. Yeah, like after two or three years, they'll put the twin beds on either side of the room. You know that kind of thing. <laughs> it's like an I Love Lucy episode. Wow. Yeah, it's just it's interesting. It, it, it's another part of that family friendly thing. It's very restrained, you know. Mm. Huh. But I think that's what what lends it that kind of sweetness is that she and Carter, I think, are so restrained because they're trying to respect each other you know she's trying to respect him and his family and the fact that he's recently divorced she apparently is about to be and she has kids too you know and i think that they're just they're doing their best to be professional well, and maybe they uh, don't yeah, really know where to... they're also keeping that professional distance a little bit as well you know basically all the opposite of what they were arguing with grand nagus zek in uh in the fourth season what yeah, yeah, when, when he shows uh, up, as, Sean come, comes as, in. He shows up, and as they, the they're like, "Oh no, don't worry. You know, we, you know, we, we, we. The relationship doesn't get in the way of our work, and you know, maybe right now they're they're trying to keep professional for the sake of that. Yeah, inconceivable. That goes too fast. That goes too fast. 
Uh, did you like super caffeinate before the podcast? Yes. <laughs> You're like the micro machine guy. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm like frying that, co- that yeah. coffee. <laughs> Ding. <laughs> <laughs> Everything starts moving in slow motion. The number right? of coffee. Yeah, you reach final, what was it? A hundred or three hundred? Two, yeah. Two hundred ninety-nine, yeah. Ding, and everything is in slow motion, and he saves everyone. That was great. No, I, I think it, part of it could be, too, that that she is a professional, and she has, you know, she's very accomplished in her own right there, and she is in the process of getting divorced, and she strikes me as not a person that moves on a whim. or Yeah. So, yeah. so well, I, that mindset, too, is not going to lend itself to uh, throwing oneself back into a relationship as well. Yeah, exa- somebody that's getting out of a relationship. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was going to say. That I think that, <laughs> that wasn't she- even fast. Keep up, guys. He was he was taking a big drink of tea. I was, okay. <laughs> I was waiting because I knew he had something to say. I could see him. Yeah, I was just going to say. Yeah, I think that it would be realistic for her to maybe not want to enter any relationship, even though she right. likes him, you know, and thinks well of him. Yeah. Anyone else? Uh- have that uh, kind of voiceover in their head when you see Irvin Thatcher, which is the the main old guy. Like, I feel happy. <laughs> I wonder, I, I couldn't help but wonder if he had like a prosthetic bump in his back. Because his, his like hunched over back was almost a 90 degree angle, you know. <laughs> Although like, how awesome was that action shot of him bringing the old team back together? That was cool. Ding, 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 Going ding, down ding, with the wheelchair, ding, the, uh, the, 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 the walker and everything. Yeah, that was pretty awesome. I actually liked the two older guys teaching, uh, you know, trying to teach Zoe. About vision. Some science, yeah. yeah. It lost me right after. It's very simple. I like when they easily explain. I like when they get rid of that and they drop that pretense and go ahead and, and kind of let her, I don't know, grow into somebody that has you know, things to offer herself instead of just being, you know, Carter's daughter. Well, you see her being pretty intuitive um, in this episode where like basically uh, she's reading her dad's mind kind of like it's, it's, it's bad, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I think, I think that she was more intuitive when uh, she's talking to Eugenia and he says, Oh yeah, room one oh one, and then runs off and she's like, wait for it. I I think that when she knew things were bad because he apologized for calling her a a delinquent, you know. Right. That was a fun scene. It was kind of programmed, but it was fun to see them interacting that way that that they they clearly know each other real well and respect each other. And that really shows through in a scene like that. I think that's why it was important to the episode, you know. Yeah. And, you know, Chug, I, I agree with your point that it's cool that they get away from that, like, sort of. Uh, pushing Zoe into that role, but it's also cool that we get to see her evolve, you know, yeah. that we see her start out as this kind of, you know, she is kind of a punk kid and, <laughs> and maybe that's not entirely her own doing, you know, I mean, she was kind of in a, I don't know, I think she was in an environment that kind of encouraged that behavior, you know, yeah. and when she gets to Eureka, it takes a little while for it to rub off and then she starts coming into her own and it's really awesome the yeah, person that she becomes. I agree. And maybe that's it, too, is that you just kind of miss that. She's one of those characters that, having not been around a lot at the end of, of season four, you know, is uh, you really miss her because she yeah. starts contributing a bunch. I mean, yeah, I mean, early on, she's sort of kind of, you know, Carter's daughter and that's it. And then 
already and you know just a few episodes in she's starting to you can see them starting to use the character and and integrate her and she does such a great job with it um it's so believable you know yeah yeah she sells it (laughs) i was thinking um if you're one of the people who's kind of just getting started with eureka you know i think you'll appreciate where the show goes with her too and one of those people is Nightwing, by the way, oh, from, yeah? from GWC. Oh, yeah, nice. he, he tweeted the other day that he just started uh, started watching it and uh, was thanking this podcast for getting him on it. So oh, that's cool, sweet. Yeah, it's fun. I'm I'm actually hearing a number of people that are checking it out um, now. Uh, since the rewatch, we're doing the rewatch, and mm-hmm. they can kind of watch along one episode a week, uh, and that's cool. I'm glad that I'm glad that people are getting some enjoyment out of that, but. Uh, this episode, I think, it's kind of funny because this isn't really one of the strongest episodes. I remember the first time, though, that I felt a lot, I thought it was a lot sweeter that she had waited for him and everything and that they were still, you know, and now I found it kind of weird uh, this time through. And maybe it's just because I, I have distance from it. Yeah, exactly. That, that you know, it's like, I guess Eugenia really was kind of a flat character. We didn't really find out anything about oh, her. Oh, she had so much potential, too. We don't know who she is. To be a crabby old awesome lady, you know? And she was. That's the one thing they did do with her is that, you know, she kind of messed with Zoe and, and was nice to Zoe at the same time, which was cool. Yeah, and I And they to hooked see more up of that. and got along. Yeah, and, and it turned out that she was just this, uh, she was kind of a throwaway character for this one. And yeah, I, I think it was a little bit more one-dimensional writing than we're used to in the in the later seasons. Yeah, yeah. It, she's she's very, I mean, her character is very simplistic. You know what surprised me uh, when, she, I guess they're telling the story of what happened, or Eugenia's telling the story of what happened to Irvin's mind, that basically it, it was when they were young. I mean, when, I don't know how old he was, maybe 30 or something. When He, he was, was pretty young in the... In the memory, yeah. yeah. When he was getting ready to propose to her, that's when he lost He lost his mind because he didn't win this Nobel Prize. And now that's driven. That's a long time to wait. Yeah, and from the age of like 30 to, I don't know, at least 60, 70. Yeah, I mean, 70. Yeah. I mean, 40 years of him being just like completely out of his head, that's more time out of his head than in his head in his life. And See, I had to assume that 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 she was like a, she was a scientist in her own right, which is why she was there, part of his team. Yeah, right. right. And that and that she was, you know, she went on to have her own career, and and yeah. stayed in Eureka, which is why she retired in Eureka and ended up at the same place with him. But I, I mean, I had to assume that we didn't know. You know, yeah. So, yeah you'd like to assume that she went out, had a life, and then yeah. the irony is that she ends up back with him. But he doesn't, he's too lost to remember her. Right, right. Yeah, because it's possible, and it would have been cool if they gave us more, Drew. It's possible that she went out, did have a life. Maybe she even got married to someone else, you know? And maybe that person had passed on or whatever. And, you know, in her recent years, kind of come back to this facility where Irvin is there. And I guess maybe it's okay that they didn't, like, completely fill us in on that. Maybe... Maybe it's okay for us to just assume that some of that happened or didn't, or that there were a variety of ways that could happen. I hadn't really thought it through that way, but... Well, I I think that they they might have given us something. I mean, we got inside his head, Mm -hmm. you know? They could have taken 10 or 20 seconds to give us something about her. Right, but then again, if if you... The only reason that we see anything about their backstory is because we're in his head, and he never experienced anything to do with her 
from the time he lost his mind until, you know, the, the events of this episode. So, yeah, you know, it's kind of funny. Like, it would have to be one of those exposition scenes like, (laughs) Oh, Zoe, let me tell you a story about a young couple that was in love. And it's like, where, where do you insert that into a narrative? I'll tell you where you insert that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my. Just saying. You know, at least she got to make out with Carter. That, that was, awesome. was cool, yeah. It's like, not now, Zoe. <laughs> Shut your mouth, Zoe. <laughs> Time's up. No, it That isn't. was awesome, too. <laughs> I love the look of disgust on Zoe's face watching yeah. her dad make out with an old woman. <laughs> that was awesome. I that think was. it wouldn't have mattered who it was, actually. You know, just anybody is like, it's watching that. Watching make out with that, anyone, yeah. It's that, yeah, that ch- the child's disgust of watching their parents be a sexual object. <laughs> it is pretty nasty, man. I mean, for the kid. Yeah, I was thinking, um, it reminds me of sort of a arbitrary, maybe, but a literary reference. Um, you know Dante's Inferno, right? The Divine Comedy, where there are the three parts, and he starts in the Inferno, and he goes up through Purgatory, and then ultimately to Paradise. And it was really interesting, because I was reviewing it the other day for a thing I was teaching. And... The third book, the the Paradiso, where Dante, you know, himself, like the author is a character, he goes up to paradise and his guide is this woman named Beatrice or Beatrice, you know, based on a woman who he really knew in real life. But what's interesting is a lot of people assume that this is a woman that he was in love with, you know, that it was like his lover or whatever, but it wasn't. Uh, the real life Beatrice was... Uh, when when Dante was eight years old, he saw her, and she was nine, and he fell so completely in love with her that he, I, I'm not sure, and I, I'm not an expert on the rest of it, whatever their contact might have been, but I'm pretty certain that they didn't have any kind of relationship ever. So it was like this, it was all in his head. Yes. Wow. He was eight, she was nine, he saw her, and then later on when he grows up, he goes on to write the Divine Comedy, and and. Beatrice is this character who's kind of the embodiment of heaven. Wow. And everyone just kind of assumes that they had a real life romance, but it, it may, she may have never even known who he was. That's freaky. Wow. And also, I mean, that same time period, uh, the poet uh, Petrarch, right? Um, Petrarch wrote all these sonnets and he's famous for them. And a lot of them were love sonnets that were written to a particular woman. And, a, a lot of people assume that he had a romance with her because he writes about her as if they did. So but, this but is kind most of a historians theme. think that they never even had a relationship that she might not have even known him either. This is kind of a theme then. Yeah. It's just interesting. This is a cool, you know, this kind of sets the episode in a little different light too, because you know, I, I didn't realize that was as common in, in literature as it as it might have been. And, and it's kind of cool to think that they took that concept and and then kind of eureka it, you know, with with this machine that lets Carter be in his head. And and uh, which was totally the uh, Bashir mind probe from DS9 <laughs> when he goes into Sloan's brain. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think that was the first by any stretch. <laughs> I think that's that's yeah, that's that's the theme that's been around a bit, right? Yeah, with kind of a Jordy LaForge style romance. <laughs> oh, <laughs> ouch! But <laughs> um, you know what I thought was yeah. uh, 
Yeah. <laughs> you know what I thought was um, uh, what, what had to have been unintentional, but it was an interesting piece of um, uh, direction. Uh, the scene where all of them are walking down that hallway and Fargo's kind of like, you know, jumping around in the back trying to keep up and he's very, very, very small in the frame. And like he, he keeps darting in and out between people trying to keep up with everybody as they're all having the, 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 the adult conversation. Wait, are you talking about um, when Irvin gets his team back together? No, this was before that. This was when the band back together. When Stark and Carter and uh, Henry and Allison are all walking down the oh, hallway, yeah, going, yeah. "Oh, well, we need to figure this out or evacuate the town." Blah 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 blah. And and Fargo, the one who basically caused this problem, is is kind of taking this back seat and trying to keep up with everybody. And what I thought was interesting, which couldn't have been purposeful, but uh, you know, compare that to some of the walk and talk scenes from when. Uh, Fargo is organizing the Astraeus project in season four where he's like leading the pack and yeah. like he's big in frame and he's like actually participating. It's actually a really cool juxtaposition. It's like in Scrubs, you know, Fargo starts out as like Lonnie, the intern and ends up being like Dr. Cox. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Chuck's like, what? Having trouble picturing that. <laughs> he's like gear change. Holy crap. No, I'm yeah, having I'm random. having trouble with that. Yeah, if there was an alternate universe in which Lonnie was magically put in charge, <laughs> I think maybe. No, he he starts out as Lonnie. I said. I know, and I'm saying. Oh. <laughs> and then yeah, I'm with I don't him. think he ever really becomes Doctor Cox. I think he gets inserted into that position. What the Cox position? <laughs> exactly. I was wondering if you would pick up on that. Hey, it's me. <laughs> hey, the guy that directed this uh, one is pretty interesting. I just grabbed him on IMDb here, and yeah. man, he has directed like all sorts of TV for many, many years. I What's mean, his name? everything. I can't pronounce it. Jeff Wilnow or something like that. But if you look, he has directed. I mean, since the '90s, he's been directing TV and a few movies like Universal Soldier and stuff like that. But. TV-wise, I mean, stuff that you, you and I and the three of us would, would recognize right off. Uh, he's directed some Battlestar Galactica. He's directed uh, some Stargate. He's That's directed, cool. uh, yeah, let's see, he directed Downloaded, Home Part 2, and The Hand of God and Battlestar Galactica. He directed House Rules as well with Eureka that's coming up later. Oh, I love uh, that episode. Oh, yeah, he directed two two episodes of, uh, of Sarah Connor Chronicles, um, an episode of V. I mean, this guy. This guy certainly has some uh, sci-fi directing cred. You know, that's awesome. Yeah, indeed, and they're good episodes too. Just looking at the the various episodes that he's he's been involved with, it there there really are good episodes of the. Anyway, so that's probably not an accident. What you were talking about, you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, if if I could, uh, I was thinking going back to the trope of the kind of imagined lover or whatever. Right. Right. Um. I was thinking there's almost, you know, if you look at these guys like Dante and Petrarch and stuff, a lot of them, this is in the medieval period and the idea of women in the medieval period, and this is a big period of time. I mean, like five, 600 years, you know, um, but the idea of women and chivalry and everything was that women weren't really understood to be at least these women who were object, objects of desire, right? Not, not right. like lower class women that anyone could have, but like Guinevere, um, they were just put on a pedestal and they weren't really understood as 
regular people with flaws. They were almost like, well, and I mean this in a positive way, but it's almost like people treat a, a slave Leia cosplayer like, oh my God, she's amazing. You know what I mean? Like, look at her. <laughs> she's just incredible. And and that's kind of the focus is that she's just, and she's like this perfect kind of being. And it's just, it's interesting. It reminds me of this kind of story and the idealized lover and everything. And if he had just been able to talk to Eugenia as a person, you know, yeah. Although I guess it, it breaks down. And if he hadn't been completely off know, his rocker, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it turned out not to be a an idealized love problem with him. Admittedly, but. it's a little hard to get behind a guy who uh, who flips out because he didn't win the Nobel Prize. He almost did. It's a but little he bit didn't. Sheldon Cooper. Yeah. Oh. Well said. Yeah. Imagine him. Young being Sheldon. <laughs> Wernstrom. <laughs> <laughs> Did you notice in that episode of Big Bang Theory where they're at Will Wheaton's party that that, oh, that's awesome. that picture of him as Wesley Crusher that yes! somebody had velvet that- painted for him yes. was hanging up in the back? Oh, I didn't know that someone had velvet painted. I saw the painting. Yeah, it's me, yeah. an actual like velvet painting. That is awesome. Yeah, the one of him like looking, like gazing lovingly kind of off to the left. Yes, when he first gets his uniform and he's gazing up and he has that (laughs) triangle of hair sticking out. That is awesome. Yeah, the the stuff in simulated Will Wheaton's house, you know, is awesome. I think it's funny, too. I mean, Will Wheaton tweets enough pictures of his place and his kitchen and stuff when he's cooking or making beer and so on that you know that he's in California and he's not super loaded and he has a... I mean, that's not his focus, right? Yeah, he's like a pretty regular guy. Yeah, exactly. This could be a plausible apartment for him. So he has like a... You know, no, no, it's not. He has like... You know, a house, which he talks about a lot because he's written about working on his house and stuff. He has a relatively normal small house, which small houses are exceedingly expensive in L.A., right? And then they show him in this, they're like, Will Wheaton's house. And they go to this place and it's like this frickin' mansion, right? (laughs) (laughs) And it's funny to anybody who actually reads his stuff, you know? There wouldn't be enough room for the cameras in a real place. Well, yeah. And I mean, they're obviously not going to shoot in his real place, but I just think it's hilarious. In in, like a real place. Yeah. But I mean, I'm pretty sure too that the, um, the, uh, the action figure that Brent Spiner tore open, (laughs) I'm pretty sure that was the one that you have on the whiteboard over there. It is. It is actually, yeah. yeah. Because you can see the action card that it comes with. <laughs> oh, that is the shot. No, it's great. And, and That's the, awesome. the awesome part is is that mine is is actually still in the package. In the package <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's better than Sheldon's copy. <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome. Wow. That's Two cool. For 30. You have to come to my birthday party. Done. Done. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was awesome, by the way. That was that was seriously cool. I love how they keep getting Trek people to come on the show, you know? Oh, yeah. No, that's mm. all good stuff. Well, guys, it's time for us to wrap up because uh, we're heading into another podcast here shortly. So, uh, yeah, well, got anything to add at the end, Audra? You know, I, yeah. I enjoyed rewatching this episode, and I had forgotten about it initially. And when we started watching it, I was like, oh, yeah, I remember this. And, uh, and I did appreciate the story. I think that... Um, we get some good character development here and I'm excited, you know, I mean, between Zoe and Jack, especially, 
And I'm excited for people who are getting started on Eureka for the first time. So, um, you know, send us your tweets and everything, because I love hearing what you guys think of it. Um, if you're watching it for the first time or if you're rewatching it after a long time. Awesome. Juan? Ten words. Joe with a dress and a gun on her leg. Oh, that was awesome. Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. She's got a pretty great all. thigh there. <laughs> oh, yeah. Nice gun. Also, um, a thigh of contentment. Yeah, give us a call. <laughs> 204-296-9229. Uh, we'd love to hear from you, and we'd love to play your call on the show. So, uh, give Extension us a- 705. That's right. Give us a ring, and we'll see you next week. From everyone here at Save Eureka and GWC, thanks for listening. If you'd like to watch Eureka or other fun shows with some of the friendliest people in geekdom, visit us at galacticwatercooler.com. We'd love to hear from you as well. If you have something to add to the show, give us a call at 214-296-9229. That's 214-296-9229. And follow the instructions there to leave us a message for inclusion in a future podcast. Financial support from listeners like you keep all GWC podcasts on the net each week. To find out how to donate, visit galacticwatercooler.com slash donate.